This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Trying to show the spring is the time of renewal. It's episode 412 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. And guess what? Well, there's actually no guest this week. Because one of the reasons I looked at so many shows that have yet to be renewed for another season. And I thought it would be fun to go make the case for renewal for a whole bunch of different shows. Or not. Maybe there's some that I don't feel like should be renewed. So I'm definitely going to talk about Batwoman DC's Legends of Tomorrow will go on to other things like Upload and Severance and things like that as well. And I'll either make my case that they should be renewed or not. But there are also shows that are and movies that are out now that I want to talk about. I'm going to give my review of the Moon Knight premiere now that that's debuted on Disney+. Plus. Also, Death on the Nile hitting digital HD. Going to give you a review of that as well. Plus, nerd news, there's certainly no shortage of that. Ezra Miller's, let's call them legal troubles also, E3 and, and what the future of that might be and what David F. Sandberg said about Superman and a whole bunch to discuss this week. So I guess the special guest is going to be me, I guess. If the, is that not special because you get to talk to me every week? I don't know. Also, I want to remind you that we've got two new shows coming up. If you've been waiting to start talking about comics again, it's Comics Man, a brand new podcast going to be starting this Wednesday, make sure you're looking for that wherever you get your podcast. If you're already subscribing to the show here, make sure you look for that where you get this show as well. And Mission Collect, a new show all about collectibles. It's going to be on YouTube and Twitter and Instagram, things like that. So make sure you're looking out for that as well. But up next, time to make the case for renewal. Find out which shows I'm going to be talking about next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yo, yo, this is Cam Rush Johnson from the cast of Batwoman. You are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. A little bit different of the show this week. Normally, this is where we'd have a guest this week. No guest, but I wanted to take this time to actually talk about the case for renewal for a whole bunch of shows 
that have not necessarily been renewed yet. And the reason I want to start with the CW shows is not just because there's a question about the future of the CW and potential sale and things like that, but because they announced so many renewals and there were a couple of shows that were definitely left out. And I don't know how I can't start with Batwoman at this point. And just the fan base alone, this has a very, very vocal fan base. I'm not even going to get into ratings because ratings, yes, they matter. But at the same time, I think it's been proven to this point that social media chatter means almost just as much as ratings in 2022. And this show, Batwoman, has such chatter on social media. The Wild Moor fans alone blow up my feed every time I even whisper about this show. And to their credit, they are a wonderfully passionate fan base who have gotten behind this show in a way that nobody's really gotten behind this show when it started, quite frankly. I mean, and and there was nothing wrong with season one of Batwoman. Season one was good. I'll say it. I'll be the one that says it. And I've said it before. Season one was good, but how the show has evolved into what it is for across a lot of different avenues, there's something to be said for that because the introduction of Ryan Wilder was a huge risk for people who always saw Kate Kane as Batwoman. But the way that they've been able to, Caroline Dries and company have been able to evolve this show and finally in season three, let this be Ryan Wilder's show finally let that happen fully and you saw what happened not only did we get a a bunch of amazing characters and that certainly helps things but then the second half of the season was not just about the fact that we get a black version of the Joker which was a a phenomenal performance not only do we get that but we and not only do we get Wildmore finally the thing that fans have been clamoring for for what seems like at least halfway through season two, right? It seems like fans have been waiting for that. But we finally get this being, like I said, Ryan Wilder's show, and we get that family aspect. You made it personal about Ryan. Not that it wasn't before, but it really was this season. And the connection to Kate wasn't there. And yet this story not just moved on, but became just this completely other it almost became a different show you know in a certain manner speaking for the better and it i and it was almost hard to imagine that in the, before season two started but that not only is a testament to the fans of the show but to the cast as well and not just javicia leslie not just megan tandy but cameras johnson and nicole kang and the list goes on and on these characters that have grown so much, and and let's shout out by the way. I don't want to just gla- you know push past this. In that Cameron Johnson story in season three of Batwoman, with his, with the AI of his dad and becoming Batwing, and and the emotional trauma that came with that, and then the fact that he was able to overcome that and start to become a hero, and and things like that. That was also a story that almost gets overlooked. Because of all the, the all the Wildmore fandom, it almost gets overlooked how that story evolved as well. And I remember when I talked to Javicia Leslie about how important this show was, 
and she just kept talking about, and I'm going to paraphrase about, you know, how this show just keeps breaking down walls. How we get the first Asian Poison Ivy. We get the first Black Joker. We get all of these things. And you get this, this show, as far as representation goes, not just gets it right, but does it in a way that feels so natural and so organic that it's not raising its hand and saying, oh, look at us, we're doing this. It just does it because that's what should be natural in the first place. And there's something refreshing about that. So to to now not continue the show would be wild. But I will give you a couple of reasons to be optimistic because, and, and again, when I record this, I'm there's no been no report of the show being renewed. That's going to go for any show that I talk about in this segment. But here's a couple of reasons why you should be optimistic. First of all, the Batwoman comic that finally is going to bring Ryan Wilder into the world of comics, the the Earth Prime Batwoman, and it's going to be a six issue series. But at the same time, I don't think you do that if you're just going to flush this character and move on. If you're just going to see this show get canceled i don't know why and again the i know comics are are done you know so far in advance and it's not like they could know what the ratings would be like blah 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 maybe they expected better i'm not let's not get into that let's just say that you could also put the brakes on this if you were warner brothers and dc comics you could have not done this because you knew ah well you know this the show's not going to be around so we might as well just put the brakes on this because it doesn't really matter well you know, they didn't do that because this comic is coming out on Wednesday. So it's it's happening, and I don't know why you wouldn't stop it if you thought that this character in the show was just going to go away. The other thing is is that Warner Brothers tends to have a history of getting shows saved that have a very, very vocal fan base on social media. Look at Lucifer, for example, saved by Netflix. Look at Manifest. Also saved by Netflix. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that if Batwoman got canceled, it would just automatically be saved by Netflix. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is is that once Warner Brothers realizes that they have a show that has a very vocal fan base on social media, they will make a bigger effort to save the show. I have no inside knowledge about this. I'm just telling you what what my eyes see and have seen over the years is that Warner Brothers will go to bat more so for shows that have a lot of chatter on social media. And does that mean it could go to Netflix? Sure. Does that mean it could go to HBO Max? Sure. Does that mean it could go to any number of other places that Warner Brothers has a platform to put a show on? Sure. But Batwoman should not go anywhere. That's my point. These shows deserve better. This cast deserves better. That writer's room who's worked their asses off for three seasons deserves better and they deserve to continue this story as far as dc's legends of tomorrow is concerned again that's another show that has been not been renewed yet they just introduced booster gold they just you know had their you know another you know time traveled adventure and, and things got messed up and you had the whole bullet blondes aspect and they went through history trying to fix this time machine with with an alternate version of Matt Ryan's character. You know, you've got Davies there. And it's not like this show hasn't evolved its characters as well. And it looks like for this upcoming season, it would almost be like a jailbreak type storyline or something along those lines. And it's, I'm not saying that this show 
isn't interesting and isn't fun because it is. And maybe that's the reason to keep it going. Maybe the reason to keep Legends of Tomorrow going is it's the one superhero series that seems like it just does what it does. And I've said this about the show a thousand times. It is what it is unapologetically. You either love it or you hate it. And you're going to watch it regardless because you're going to watch it with, because you love it. Or you're going to watch it to see what, what other thing that it's going to do to piss you off next sort of thing. So you know me, I'm not a fan of the booster of the character booster gold. That doesn't mean I don't think Donald Faison's going to do a good job. I've just never been a fan of the booster gold character. So that doesn't do a whole lot for me. I know it does, a, does a lot for other fans that because booster gold certainly does have a following amongst DC fans doesn't do a whole lot for me and maybe if Zach Braff was cast as as Ted Cord Blue Beetle I don't know that that would change things for me but it would certainly make things interesting but the show has to be renewed before they even think about bringing Zach Braff in but I was always a proponent of instead of having Legends of Tomorrow you do a world's finest series where you give a certain arc you know like six to eight episodes you let that run its course and then you do another set of characters for another story, almost like an anthology series in an interesting way. So let's say they decided to do, let's say the first of all world, let's say the first season would be world's finest booster golden blue beetle. And you do the whole Donald Faison and Zach Braff. You give them their story, include whatever characters you want. I don't care how you do it, but give it a short run and then move on to another set of characters. That doesn't preclude you from bringing these characters back again for a second go around of world's finest. But it also gives you a chance to use a whole bunch of different characters whenever you want. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know that it's e- it can either be finite or not. And that's one I always thought could be a little bit more interesting than DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Now, that uh, I realize that there's you know difficulties there. You know, showrunners, writers' rooms, maybe that, that makes things too hard to do a show like that and cast turnover, all of those things. But to me... I really feel like as fun as DC's Legends of Tomorrow is, and as much as I love certain members of these cast, and by the way, they're losing members of the of the original team, it seems like every season, and it's you're introducing new members that are also good, but it also feels like if you've been watching the show for a long time, you fall in love with certain characters, and now these characters are kind of starting to go away little by little, and, I, and I've kind of fallen in love with some of the newer characters, but at the same time, I every every new season doesn't feel quite the same to me. And that makes it really, really difficult for me to be able to stick with DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Is it still fun? Absolutely, it's still fun. And would, is it a show that I would still watch? Yeah, I think I would. But if this is if it does get renewed, it, it, it will definitely be the final season. I just don't know how you can keep this story up of, you know, the con- the timeline constantly getting screwed up and then them screwing up the screw up and then all of a sudden things are right back to being fine again at the end of the day. And that that's fun, but, it, you know, after this many seasons, that shtick has kind of played out, I think, unfortunately. So Legends of Tomorrow certainly could get another season, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's its last because I just don't know how far you can go with this. I want to talk about a whole bunch of other shows, though, and I want to get Resident Alien into this discussion at Sci-Fi because Sci-Fi is the Danger Zone network of shows because Sci-Fi doesn't tend to stick with stuff for a lot for a long amount of time. Resident Alien is such a fun show that is so well cast. It's quirky, and it is one of those shows 
that has that longevity. You've got the the humorous nature of the show, but it, there's also a lot of heart to this show as well. And Harry's view of humanity, I think, is always going to be interesting in the way he see things, sees things and how he decides that the human race is not, not worth killing anymore, but now worth saving at this point is also an interesting way to view things because there's social commentary there that makes things interesting, isn't there? And not to mention that the you know the, the, how things are going you know between Harry and Asta I think are are really really fun. Sheriff Mike to me is a character I could watch my own. I could watch a show of just Sheriff Mike and that's it. I could watch a spinoff of that. That's how much I love that character. Maybe you think I'm nuts for saying that, but this is a well cast, good show. It deserves a third season and beyond, just because. Unlike like I was just saying about DC's Legends of Tomorrow, yes, the whole we have to save the planet from the aliens that wanted to destroy the planet shtick will run its course at some point. But the way that this show tackles social commentary and Harry's evolution into becoming more human or not, depending on how you look at it, I think is very, very sustainable for at least a couple more seasons, isn't it? So this is certainly something that I could see continuing past its second season and certainly deserves at least a third season. I could see this getting to as many as five, and that's a good run. And I think that that certainly would be fair, and I hope we get to that point. We certainly got to that point with The Magicians, which I also like, but that's also a show that I feel like trailed off in season, the latter half of season four and five. And I'm not saying that that would happen with Resident Alien, but... I th- I feel like the danger is sci-fi ending shows too soon for whatever reason. And I'm worried that that's going to happen with Resident Alien. But fingers crossed we get a season three of that. I also hope we get a season three of Upload on Prime Video. When I talked to Andy Allo, she talked about how if you thought, you know, the end of season one was a gut punch, wait till you see the end of season two. And I'm not going to spoil it for you just in case you haven't had a chance to binge the show. And that's the best way to get something renewed is to continue to watch it. Right, just like Batwoman's going to be on HBO Max this weekend, season three. You binge watch it; that'll make you know, that'll tell the networks that you should you know want to renew this show. But I go back to Prime Video and, and upload and say that yes, yeah, season two, you get another good cliffhanger in season two. And again, watching how things happened with Nate and Nora, and what happened with Nate and Ingrid. And then you look at what happened with Horizon and the the evolution of the story in Lakeview and things like that. And you go, okay, this is a show that could, again, live on for at least a couple of more seasons to be able to tell more of its story. And and Greg Daniel said as much when I talked to him as well, saying, you know, that they've they are in in plenty of discussions about where to go with season three. Now, could you give me a third and final season and know that and wrap it up in a nice, nice neat bow? Yeah, you could absolutely do that. And I wouldn't necessarily be mad about it, but I could see this show going on even past that, especially when the, when the LUDs were introduced this past season and the whole, you know, you know, life after death aspect of, is this wrong or is it not sort of thing is, is something I think you could explore beyond this season and infiltrating that in a way that it, that Ingrid did in a certain way, in a, in a very unique way, let's just put it that way, is also something that you could explore 
beyond this season as well. So yeah, I'm really hoping we get a, a season three of Upload on Prime Video. Quickly want to touch on a couple more severance on Apple TV+. Plus. I know that that finale hasn't aired yet as of me talking about this, but it's not just about the work-life balance. It, it's about the, I don't think you're, you're really done talking about what not only A, Lumen is doing to its employees, but B, what they're doing in their company as a whole. I don't think you're done with that story necessarily. Now, maybe the finale somehow wraps this up and it's a you know one season only limited series type of thing. But again, you look at how this show has panned out over this season and you you think that this could absolutely live on at least past the first season. And Apple TV Plus certainly it doesn't pull their shows, I think, right away. I mean, Severance getting three seasons, I think, was is, is proof of that. But, excuse me, Servant getting three seasons is certainly proof of that. I'd love to see Severance get three seasons or, or, or maybe even more. But again, it has to... You have to find a way to sustain this story. Maybe this is one that doesn't necessarily have a the ability to sustain itself into like a five-season type of situation. But I certainly think we could live beyond season one to kind of see where this story goes. I would say the same thing about Raised by Wolves on HBO Max because they really found a way to ramp up the level of sci-fi and introduce a whole different world in a second season. So you go, okay, well, if you were able to introduce this world in season two, imagine how far now you could stretch into season three. And, and again, it's the, you know, mother and father, are they becoming too human sort of thing? Then you introduce grandmother into the mix. And, and again, all of the socio-political aspects of this story and, and just bringing these communities into things and creating a whole new dynamic beyond the religious aspects of the first season. Now you're taking the, all the stuff that was good about the first season, bringing it into season two, and then broadening it by introducing these communities into things. And oh, by the way, ramping up the sci-fi aspect with the artifacts and things like that. And then watching these kids grow into what they want to be socially and religiously as well was also super, super interesting about this second season so I think making this show live on for at least a third season to see how you can again broaden that even more and expand the story and I'm really trying not to do spoilers here just in case you haven't had a chance to watch these shows this is another one that I really think has a chance to live on further and again to me this is peak sci-fi for a lot of different reasons and is shown in two seasons how a science fiction series can be not just visually striking but super, super interesting in, as well in a way that makes you want to talk about it after each episode is over. And Raised by Wolves, to me, did that in spades, so I really hope they get a chance to continue to tell that story. And that's my list so far. If you've got any more on your list, you make sure you tweet me at DanNerdy757 and make your case for the show that you'd like to see renewed as well. But let's talk about a show that has just premiered on Disney+. Plus. Up next, I'm going to talk about Moon Knight, the first episode with spoilers. We'll do that next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Simone Mythic from Marvel's Luke Cage, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time for a new phase of the moon. Marvel's Moon Knight has premiered on Disney+, Plus, of course, starring Oscar Isaac and many others. It was a couple days ago, so I think I'll drop a few spoilers. In this review, if you don't mind, if you haven't watched it yet, this is your fair warning. And yes, this does follow the character that seems to be kind of a fan favorite in Moon Knight. And you get a lot of Stephen Grant in this first episode. And they really lay the foundation for, yes, he's kind of a screw up, it seems like. He seems to be suffering from some sort of what he thinks is like a sleep disorder. Turns out it's actually dissociative identity disorder. And by the way, he has the powers of an Egyptian moon god. But again, in this first episode, he doesn't really know it. That's not really a big spoiler because, you know, that's in the episode, that's in the description of the show. You kind of know where this is headed. And you should know the name Mark Spector by now. That certainly shouldn't be a spoiler either. But what you get is they lay the groundwork for how different the two personalities of Stephen Grant, Stephen with a V, by the way, is from Mark Spector. They really, really lay that groundwork well. And it's funny because you've got Oscar Isaac playing these two roles. When I was at the press conference for Moon Knight, Oscar Isaac was talking about how he hired his brother to actually rehearse scenes with him so he could actually rehearse with himself. I mean, who better to rehearse with as yourself than your brother, who also happens to be a pretty darn good actor in his own right. So, I mean, that's a really smart move on Oscar Isaac's part, but you see Stephen Grant, he's like chaining himself to his bed because he's like, hey, you know, I fall asleep in one place, I wake up in another, I'm exhausted, I have no idea how I got there, and this whole thing is really, really strange. And, you know, he he tries to stay in touch with his mom, he never seems to get through to her, his people at work think that, you know, there's some sort of problem with him, he can't quite get ahead there, he's a museum gift shop employee, so not a banner job necessarily either, but at the same time, he, he seems to enjoy it, but... Just imagine finding all of this stuff out for the first time. And who's controlling the body is always an interesting aspect of the story. We also get to meet Ethan Hawke's character a little, little bit in this first episode in Arthur Harrow. And I have to say, Ethan Hawke, when I was at this press conference, Ethan Hawke is really into this show. You could tell that he was hesitant to take a role in a Marvel series. And then you, you could just tell how into it he is. And he, he credits director Mohamed Diab for that and his enthusiasm, the way he gets into the details and really tells the story of a hero with a personality disorder and with, with mental illness and mental disease. And that's something that really, really brought him to the project as well. And he just, he's, he's really got a lot of opinions 
on all of the characters on the show, which I think is really, really good that he's just, he's just that into it. And it really shows in his, in his performance. And man, is he a creepy villain? He is just a creepy, creepy, uneasy dude to be around. That's that's an understatement. But again, it's it's very Stephen Grant heavy and watching him start to sort of find everything out and sort of start to, you know, kind of lose his mind a little bit. But we really get more in the second and third episodes. Things start to pick up from there. I've got I got to see some of it a little bit early. So things really start to pick up in episode two and beyond. But a lot of groundwork that's getting laid here in this first episode. But I got to say, this show was really refreshing to me. Because everything's so connected in the MCU, and, and I know that that's a, that can be a very good thing, but I've always said, you know, where are the chances you're taking? Where is something that I, I can watch and not have to worry about, oh, depending on what happens on movie X, Y, and Z, the rug could get yanked out from under this show, and now this show has to be used to support said movie. And it does not feel like that's happening here. Yes, Muhammad Diab came out and said yes, this is taking place within the MCU, but it feels refreshingly outside of that. It feels refreshingly original and exciting. I do love the new angle on a hero. I would not say that Moon Knight in this particular instance is Marvel's Batman. I think that's a I think that's a sloppy take. I think that that's a little bit of a lazy take because I don't think the two really relate to each other in the way that you think that they do. You could make I I can understand how you could make the argument for it, and you could certainly make it sound like it makes sense, but to me that's not it. To me, Daredevil has always been way closer to Batman in the Marvel world than any other character has. But that that's just my opinion. So I would not at all compare this Moon Knight to Batman one bit. And you get to see again once this once the later episodes start to roll out. You get to start to see uh, like where the story's going to go, you know who your who your main players as far as characters are going to be concerned. This is a big introdu- introduction to Oscar Isaac, and I got to tell you, I thought it was done pretty well. The, there were some things though that I didn't like. I thought that the CGI was a little bit sloppy at times. It wasn't up to the usual standards that I would have expected for Marvel, especially when it comes to Konshu. I I would have been. I was a little surprised that it wasn't better than it actually was. And, you know, that's just one of those things where it's either going to bother you or it doesn't. Is the, is Does it take me out of the story? No, absolutely not. It doesn't take me out of the story. But I, but I noticed, I was like, huh, you know, I'm surprised that this isn't better. Especially since we've seen that in previous Disney Plus series. Let's just face it. I mean, it's not just, we're not just talking about Marvel movies here, but kind of seen better in... Marvel series as well on Disney Plus. So I was I was a little bit bummed and surprised that the CG wasn't a little bit better considering this is kind of a big deal if you ask me. I think that, that I could understand why some people would find Stephen Grant annoying. I didn't. I thought he was charming and I kind of rooted for the guy and you almost don't know who you want to be in control in a certain instance. At least I didn't anyway. But I thought Oscar Isaac played the both of the roles very, very well. And when you do get to meet more of Layla, played by Mae Kalamawi, you're all understanding completely the other dimension that she adds to the show as well. And I mean, there's plenty of characters that you're going to meet that are going to add intrigue to the show. But, you know, Layla especially is a really, really good one 
that I think you're going to like. So I, I, for my money, I was really, really impressed with this first episode of Moon Knight. And yes, things do pick up in a big way in the second episode. It was fun. There were funny moments that did land, which I was which I was very happy about. I certainly wasn't in this for the comedy. And are there darker elements to this? Sure. Early on, not as much. But there were darker elements to this. Some of the some of the employees at the museum I thought were very solid secondary characters, especially adding the humor to things as well. And again, this is going to boil down to you, you like Oscar Isaac's performance or you don't. Really, in the early going anyway, that's what it's going to boil down to. That's what it's going to boil down to. Do you enjoy what Oscar Isaac is doing or not? But I got to tell you, I'm really excited to keep watching Moon Knight. I think that this is one that's going to be really, really exciting and not one of those things you have to look over your shoulder and wonder, okay, well done. Now, what's happening? You know, you got Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness coming up. How is this going to be affected by that and vice versa? I don't feel like I have to worry about that. And I got to tell you, for the first time in a long time, that makes me, it's like that Briggs sigh of relief where I go, Ah, okay, I can just sit back and enjoy this. Not that I won't still be looking for Easter eggs, but I'm not going to worry about the rug being pulled out from under this show's feet either. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled-ish review of the Moon Knight series premiere on Disney+. Plus. Up next, we're going to head down the Nile and talk about Death of the Nile, now available on Digital HD, and I'll give you my review of that and some of the special features next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is writer Mark Miller, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Travel can be murder, especially when you're among the Great Pyramids. Death on the Nile is here on Digital HD, and I get a chance to check it out. Finally, going to give you some spoilers, maybe, in this review, but I did want to let you know that Walt Disney Home Entertainment and 20th Century Studios did provide me with a free copy of this digital copy for review, all views expressed are my own. So basically this is Inspector Poirot back once again, Kenneth Branagh back playing the character. And there are some things I don't really want to spoil about this movie, but I will tell you this much. He's the, he is where he is for a reason. He's not there by accident. That, that is one part of the curtain that I will pull away from you is that he's there for a reason, but I won't tell you exactly why that is, or who is involved. But he is there for a reason, and he brings the same flair that he brought in the last movie, Murder on the Orient Express, if you saw that. And this is, yes, based on the Agatha Christie novel, but the screenplay is actually done by Michael Green, and you basically have a newlywed couple and Gal Gadot and Army Hammer's characters, and yeah, there's a jilted lover, in there as well, but they decide to have this extravagant, and I do mean extravagant, Egyptian wedding slash honeymoon slash destination wedding. It's really getting to the point where it was hard to tell in the movie, quite frankly. And then, you know, as, as jealousy rears its ugly head and a bunch of other things, you coop a bunch of people up on a boat together, and bad things can actually happen. And that's exactly what did happen, and then the thus the investigation rolls on. I got to tell you, though, honestly, this movie took a long time to get where it was going. And I, I don't mind some of the background on Poirot. I actually welcomed that a little bit. But beyond that, this thing could really, really be all over the place. And it was just funny watching him just randomly kind of accuse 
a whole bunch of people with murder and make it make sense that they could have done it, by the way, which is also pretty darn scary if you think about it. But this was really an all-star cast. I mean, I mentioned Army Hammer and Gal Gadot. You also had Latitia Wright, who was a part of this. And actually, she was a sleeper hit in this movie. Let me tell you, Rosalie was a very, very big part of the story and a big hit for me. I thought she did a fantastic, fantastic job. I mean, you even had Russell Brand who was in this as well. And I, I know that he hasn't done a ton of stuff lately, but he's, you know, more a lot more popular than you think he is. That's for sure. And you've got Emma McKay, who did a great job as Jacqueline. And that's what she she was another one of those ones where you're like, you got to keep your eye on her because every time she seems to be there, she's still in the scenes that she's in. And, and there were a lot of characters that played interesting roles in this. But I'm not sure. See, when you do an old school detective story like this, and this definitely felt like an old school movie in setting and in and in the way it played out. And I guess maybe you kind of have to do that in part because you're adapting the novel, but it seemed a little bit too old-fashioned for its own good in a weird way. But at the same time, I get that you couldn't modernize this too much because then a story like this wouldn't make a whole lot of sense and an inspector like Poirot wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to exist in that time period either. Plus, he's a little bit older, too. He's a little bit long in the tooth there as well. So, but, but again, it, it just seemed like it took a while to get its legs under it. And then once it did, it got a little goofy at times, honestly. And it was one of those things where you want to be in this and want to solve the murder yourself, right? You want to try and figure out who did it. You know, as long as they don't show you who did it, which they do in movies like this sometimes. But you, you want to be in it to find out who did it. I'll say I was, I was, I was certainly surprised. When I ultimately found out who did it and who was involved and things like that. And I won't spoil that for you either. So I, I was admittedly intrigued and surprised by that. But it was the getting there. And I think that part of it that took me out of it was Poirot basically accusing everybody. And then, you know, they ended up ultimately ended up not being the right choice. So I, I think that did take me out of a little bit only because I'm like, really? We're going to do this again every time you pulled someone in to the interrogation room. But there are more. It turns out it kind of all rounds out in the end because there's more layers to the story than you really think there are. And it would benefit you to pay attention throughout. If something feels like an important bit in the movie, it probably is. That much I could tell you. If your instincts are good for that sort of thing, you're like, oh, I wonder if this is going to be important later on. Absolutely. It's going to be important. So just keep that in mind as well. And, you know, part of the th part of it was, I mean, you got Kenneth Branagh, who's kind of splitting his time between Poirot and actually, oh, by the way, being the freaking director of the movie. And I know that's been done, but also it's not easy either, right? You, just, you act like you could just roll up in there and anybody could do it. That is not the case at all. But at the same time, I can't help but go back to there's a reason this movie was moved to streaming. There's a reason that this wasn't put in theaters and all the, you know, you go to the list and once I see it, you go, you know what? Okay. Yeah. I don't think there's really a stigma attached to going straight to streaming or, or straight to digital HD or DVD or Blu-ray anymore. I just don't think that stigma is there anymore. I think that's an old school 
way of thinking. So don't think that this just because this one's going to streaming means it's not going to be any good. This movie was surprisingly good when you get to see the finished product. And, and I have to say I'm really, really happy to see this kind of movie out there again because there's nothing wrong with having a little fun. Take a look real quickly at the special features that you'll get if you purchase this on digital HD. There's a whole bunch of featurettes and deleted scenes that you're going to get. And talking about adapting the Agatha Christie novel to the film, and that is one of the featurettes that you'll get to see there as well. Plus, design of the Nile about the boat that you see on the show is a really, really cool one for me. Maybe it's, maybe it's just because I just like that sort of thing. But And then there's one on Poro as well if you want to dig in to that character from Branagh a little bit more. But I, I got to say that, that this just shows you why adapting a novel from so long ago is so difficult right now. And I think that they kind of 50-50 pulled it off. I thought that there were some very fun things and very good things. But then there were also things that maybe dragged on or didn't hit quite as much as they should have. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free, maybe-ish review of Death on the Nile from 20th Century Studios and Walt Disney Home Entertainment. Up next, yeah, there's some really interesting nerd news to tackle. Let's do that. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Luke Mitchell from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Promising this segment will be slap talk free. It's time for nerd news. And before I even start talking about the story, I just want to say that this, these incidents are alleged and that certainly there's legal stuff that are, that's at play here. And I'm not going to make any accusations or comment on anyone's guilt or innocence or anything like that. I'm just going to report what has already been reported and stuff that's been in police reports and stuff like that. And I'm saying that because Ezra Miller in trouble again, apparently arrested in Hawaii for disorderly conduct at a karaoke bar. Apparently he was upset that people were singing at the bar. I, if, I mean, if that's true, I, I know that's it's, it's strange. But what are you going to do? Apparently, Miller grabbed the mic out of one woman's hand. And again, this is this is in the police report. So this is what's being alleged and lunged at another man later on. There's also another report that suggests he made some other threats after the fact to a different couple as well. Now, couple this with the, again, alleged incident in Iceland from 2020 where he allegedly choked a woman, there's, and there's video of the, the potential incident and things like that. And here's the thing, and I want to take this from a purely entertainment standpoint. I want to take Miller's mental state and, and, and his legal troubles out of, the, out of the equation. I know that it's hard to really do that, but that's not really something that you and I really have any A, control over, and B, any way to know how that's going to turn out. So what what I do here and what you're, you're here for is entertainment. And I want to take this from the entertainment side of things. And that is looking at the Flash movie, which, of course, you know, has been delayed to 2023 now. This movie has been delayed a number of times for a number of different reasons. And now, will this again be forgotten before this Flash movie is released and we're done. I mean, the, the production's wrapped. Of course, there's still post-production stuff to do and everything like that, but production has wrapped on this movie. It is finally done, and it will be released at some point. So there's no getting out of this if you're Warner Brothers, as far as Miller is concerned. You're kind of committed unless you decide not to release this movie at all, and I'm thinking that Warner Brothers thinks this movie's pretty important 
especially you know the potential to retcon the whole everything that's happened before now and kind of almost if you wanted to do a soft reboot of the DC movie universe you could certainly use a flashpoint movie to do that if that's the if that's the route they're going and it seems like that's kind of the route that they're going so this is kind of an important one that needs to come out but with all of these incidents and legal troubles that Miller's had over the last couple of years, it's certainly one of those things where you have to look at it from a certain perspective and go, "Eh, I don't know if this is a good look that we're really propping Miller up at this point. Not to mention, I mean, he's going to be in the Fantastic Beasts of Secrets of Dumbledore in a couple of weeks. It's going to be out in a couple of weeks. Also, the Oscars biggest cheer moment for Zack Snyder's Justice League had a very prominent feature of Miller in that as well. And that was just, that was just a week ago. So, I mean, I'm not saying that. And again, this is all alleged. It could be true. It could not be true. It's all alleged at this point, but at the same time, you get these things just keep popping up and that's got to be concerning. If you're Warner brothers, on a lot of different levels because you can't just pretend like Miller's not in this flash movie. You, you can't do that. But what you can do is if you're Warner brothers hope that this all goes away or that this gets proven to be false or that, you know, people just plain forget about it by the time that this movie comes out. Is that right or wrong morally? I, I, I can't say I'm not even talking about to, from a Warner brothers perspective. I'm just in general speaking that, you know, is this something that should be forgotten? And that is a matter of opinion. I don't know how this is going to look if these allegations are still looming over Miller once the Flash movie comes out in 2023. Because legal proceedings have a tendency to drag themselves out and come up much later on the fact, I don't know what the what the you know court backup system is in Hawaii or anything like that, or or what kind of charges would be filed and what the what the penalty for that is or anything like that. All I know is is that this is not something that you want to see if you're Warner Brothers when you've got some big big projects that at least at least in a large way feature Miller, if not very much feature Miller coming up in the future and. What what what's going on with Ezra Miller is anyone's guess. And I certainly don't want to speculate towards that. I just hope that it works out for the best for Miller and everyone involved and that the headlines continue to be about great movies and and TV shows that are coming out that that feature Miller, because that's I think that's what we really want. This is certainly something that we don't want to see happen again, for sure. And for a lot of reasons, it's funny that. I'm going to stay in the DC movie universe for this next one because you know that Shazam Fury of the Gods is going to be coming out on December the 16th of this year now. That's the one of the only Warner Brothers movies that was moved up in the schedule. And David F. Sandberg is still in the post-production process. He decided to do a little AMA on Instagram recently with the fans, and he was asked about potentially you know, doing a Superman movie. And it's, it's interesting what he said. In the quote, I actually want to read the quote. I usually don't do this, but I want to read the quote that he had in case you haven't seen it. He says, and I'm paraphrasing part of the quote here. When there are so many different expectations and hardcore fans, 
you're going to piss off so many people no matter what you do. Seeing how people react to things like The Last Jedi makes me want to stay away from things like that. Shazam was perfect in that there hadn't been that many adaptations before. There are still people who think it was done wrong, but it was on a manageable level. And boy, is he right. Isn't he right? And what does that say? And quite frankly, and you know what? I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. I don't like calling out fandom very much, but I'm going to do it in this particular sense because I've done it before when it's important. And that is that I understand how you can get upset when your favorite thing is done in a way that you think tarnishes your favorite thing. I get the, the I get why someone would be upset about that. I've certainly been upset about how movies were done. But there's also a lack of vision that this is someone's vision. Not necessarily the thing that you saw. When you saw the part of, what, let's say, whatever Superman story that you love, or whoever wrote it, or whether it was a Donner adaptation, or whether it was something from a comic that you read however many years ago, and that was just what made you fall in love with the character. You have to understand that even in that moment, that was somebody's vision that you just happened to fall in love with and that you clung to. And we do cling to our favorite adaptations or iterations of a character or ones that introduced us to the character that made us fall in love with said character. But that should not preclude you from being able to enjoy someone else's vision. It also doesn't mean you have to enjoy someone else's vision either. However, you don't need to drag it through the mud because it wasn't the thing that you ended up loving in the first place. I never understood why that is. If you love it so much, go back and read it. Go back and watch it. You don't have to consume this. You can be upset that nobody's been able to reach that level. That's reasonable. That is reasonable. But to drag something through the mud just because it's not the exact thing that you remember. You've already had that thing. Do you want to just continue getting that thing? Because if you do, we're never going to get anywhere. We're never going to get great things again. We're just going to get rehashes. And isn't that just something that fans of just Hollywood in general have been bitching about for what seems like the last, if not five years, the last decade is that, oh, we're getting the same old thing. And then when you get something different, you bitch about that and say, well, it's not the thing that I remember. Well, which one do you want exactly? Especially when it comes to comic book adaptations. And especially when it comes to Superman. You might not have liked what Zack Snyder did. And I, I liked plenty of what he did with Superman. And there's, there's plenty that I didn't like about what he did with Superman. But that was his vision. And at least it was a different one. I got to give him credit for that. It was a different vision. And someday somebody else is going to come along and again bring us a different vision. Just like Superman and Lois is another really good example. It seems like a lot of fans love that show. And again, that is a different vision. And when I watch Superman and Lois, I kind of, I, my, my mind thinks back to the Peter J. Tomasi run early, you know, not too long ago of Superman where, where he had Superman as a, and, and Lois as a dad 
and you had Clark being a dad to his son, John, and things like that, and you saw that different side of him. And it, this that show seems like that to me. So that's what I think of. And I think it's it's not exactly that, but it's close enough to that. So I enjoyed the Tomasi run, and this is close to that. So maybe that's one of the reasons why I enjoy Superman and Lois as much as I do. But that doesn't mean if it was that doesn't mean I can't enjoy Superman stuff that's not the Tomasi run. And, and the Tomasi run's not the only Superman that I've ever loved either. By the way, that's just a more recent example of one that I can think of. But just because it's not that thing. Again, that you loved and what made you fall in love with the character doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to enjoy it. And if you've got filmmakers that somebody that people clearly seem to like, like David F. Sandberg and what he's done with Shazam, not wanting to make these movies, you're getting the greatest visionaries and the most creative minds that don't even want to touch this because they're worried about how a, a certain, and I'll call it small section of fandom, will react to this because they are allowed and they are all over social media. So that is something that should be talked about too, is that now what we're getting is the next tier of filmmaker making these movies potentially because the top tier want nothing to do with it or the up. I should say not necessarily the top tier, but let's say the top tier and the up and coming tier want nothing to do with because of the huge risk that is involved there. So that I think was a very, very telling statement. And yeah, I don't envy the next person that does Superman. That's for sure. But I, whoever they are, I hope they do a fantastic job because I'd love to see a great soups movie again. Here's something we may never see again. And that is E3. Yes. The video game expo has once again been canceled this year. I'm not going to read just statements. I'm not even going to tell you why. You might already know why. But here's the thing. There's no excuses this year as far as I'm concerned. And and I am certainly not going to get in to the pandemic again. We're not having that conversation. And I'm not going to tell you right or wrong how you feel about the current state of things and whether or not there should be conventions of this size and all this other stuff. I'm not going to get into that because that's not the point. The point is, is that there are other large conventions, whether they should be or not, that are going on now. And E3 is not any larger or smaller than some of the conventions that are going to be coming up. So there's really no excuse to cancel this, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely none whatsoever. And I get there's, there's certain mandates are, are different in certain areas. Okay, I get all of that. I really do. But at the same time, everybody else is coming back and you're not kind of thing, I guess is where I'm going with this. And I don't think that this should be a surprise only because it seems like when Sony pulled out of E3 years ago, and this was pre-pandemic, to me, I, that felt to me like the beginning of the end. And the fact that we're seeing the same trailers over and over and over at E3 for games that just either keep getting delayed or aren't coming out or you, you, you debut them too soon and you know they're not going to be out for a couple of years, so you're going to end up right back at E3 with these trailers anyway. I feel like Sony leaving was the beginning of the end and Sony realized we can do our own thing and be just as successful at this. And especially with, with video game coverage, you know, everything is so, you know, Twitch based and, and YouTube and things like that. There are so many ways to get the word out about games 
that people will consume at home that having a convention like this is almost not necessary anymore. And that's sad to say, but it's also true. That doesn't mean that video games don't have a place in the convention world. I think PAX does a great job with their with their stuff and, and Game Expo and stuff like that does a great job. But at the same time, E3 has very much lost its shine from what it was several years ago. And maybe part of the blame here is the fact that these newer consoles that these games are coming out on are still very few and far between. It's really hard to find these newer consoles. So you're going to show gameplay footage for a console that most people can't even get in the first place. It's it's terrible that retailers have to put out like special statements like, hey, we've got a special restock on PS5s. Come get them. And they're gone within 24 to 48 hours. And then you got to wait for the next wave that could be months away. And there are reasons for that that you know I won't get into and why consoles are, are hard to find and all that stuff. I mean, this isn't Bloomberg. We're not going to talk about that. All I'm saying is that there's maybe a reason why E3 doesn't need to exist anymore. And if you're not and if you can't come back this year, when can you come back? I guess is my beef. If if you really can't get at least give it a go this year, then then I don't know, I don't know how you ever come back. I think this could be goodbye to E3 and will it be missed in a certain respect? I think it'll be missed. But at the same time, is this going to stop the world of video games from churning and being able to introduce new games and gameplay footage and trailers and all that stuff? Absolutely not. And there can be just as much fanfare for these games without E3 and everything that comes with that. So, yeah, I think that we might... This will. I think this might be the final blow for E3, and, and we'll see if I'm wrong. Part of me kind of hopes I am because I never got a chance to go to E3, and that was certainly one on the list. And, but I just don't see how you could come back at this point next year. Shows that are uh, here's a show that is coming back for fourth season really quickly. Snowpiercer coming back for fourth season on TNT. The release date, of course, not coming up yet. I'm not going to do a ton of spoilers on this, but I will say that there is a new showrunner and a couple of new cast members that are going to be coming to the show. And Paul, and, and I'm going to have a really, really tough time saying this name. Zibzewski? I'm going to go with that. Paul Zibzewski has been named the new showrunner for this upcoming fourth season. Now he's he's worked on Lost before and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And why that's interesting is, is that Phil Coulson himself, Clark Gregg, is going to be joining the cast coming up for season four. Also, Tony Award winner Mark Ar- Michael Aronov going to be joining the series as well. And one of the reasons I think this is interesting is because it just feels like a good time for a fresh start, in a certain manner of speaking, for Snowpiercer, doesn't it? And their Twitter feed was really full of spoilers right after that finale for season three, wasn't it? And and here it is. I'll just say it because they said it. You know, they found New Eden, Mr. Wilford, out of power, and, you know, the Snowpiercer is still rolling on. And, and there, you know, there's certainly some consequences for, for Leighton coming up and things like that in season four. And, and, so, and this just kind of, in a weird way, feels fresh coming into this season. So it seems like a good time to introduce a new showrunner and a couple of new cast members to shake things up at this point 
and see where the series goes. And and the fact that they've a made it to a fourth season, b seem to be churning out these seasons so quickly, and c getting so much fanfare and chatter over this tells me that they've got a good thing going here. And if they can revive and revitalize this show once again for a fourth season and create a whole new vibe for this thing, then this is a show that could run for a long, long time. And it's a darn good show. So there's certainly no surprise there. I'm really excited to see where they go for season four. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy podcast. I want to remind you that two brand new shows that I'm going to be hosting are going to be starting one next week, one the following week. It's Comics Man is going to be the podcast that's going to be all about comics. Yes, going to be talking about comics. Again, if you've been waiting for that, if you've been craving it, the new show going to be coming out on Wednesday of this coming week. Make sure you find a place to subscribe. The same place you subscribe here, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're subscribing to the Down and Nerdy Podcast there, subscribe to It's Comics Man as well. First episode going to be dropping on April the 6th. And then Mission Collect, my show all about collectibles, going to be dropping a few days after that in the following week. It, there's going to be unboxing videos. I'm going to be talking about some some news that's in the collectibles world, reacting to reveals and things like that. And that's going to be on YouTube and on social media. So you can follow follow at It's Comics Man on Twitter and Instagram and at Mission Collect on Twitter and Instagram as well. Make sure you're following this show too. This is where it all started. At Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. And subscribe, yes wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly, and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shamblers still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.